We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Podcasters attempt to ignore sun, sea, and hangover in an attempt to describe the indescribable. This is the Arsenal Vision Postmatch Podcast. My name is Alex Gangler. Hello, everybody. Hope you're doing well. Many of you may have stayed up to an ungodly hour to watch Arsenal beat Barcelona 5-3 in a fiercely contested match in an incredible stadium uh, on what was really a fun night. And uh, we will talk primarily about the football today. We'll give our thoughts on the individual performances, which... There are many very good ones. I think this was obviously a much better display from Arsenal than against United at MetLife, as Lissandro Martinez continues his tour of the world attempting to end the careers of talented footballers. Uh, maybe more on that anon. But uh, yeah, we will largely focus on the football, but I, I think it is important to also try to describe the occasion, um, because while there were obviously tens of thousands of Arsenal fans there last night, there are many of you listening who may not have had the chance to be there, and certainly Worth trying to summarize it at some level. So uh, here to do that with me now, uh, a man who uh, was out into the wee hours of the evening with me, so we'll, <laughs> we'll see what form he can produce. Is Tim, you can find him on Twitter, at Stillmanator. Hello, Tim. Hello there. How are you holding up right now? Yeah, okay, okay. Had two coffees, so, you know, um, getting there. But I think my body is kind of adjusting to being in a permanent state of either being a bit hungover or a bit drunk. Mm. You did just have a coffee the size of your head, uh, as did I, which was nice. And that that um, was the regular. <laughs> it, it is tough, right? You're sitting out at a table, having a coffee, just in that good place where you're feeling mellow and everything's settling in nice, and there's the ocean, and you hear the waves, and you're like, we're going to go back into the hotel room and do a <laughs> podcast, aren't we? And and so, uh, yes, I am going to praise our professionalism to the rafters here. Um, so, Let's do this. You've just written your column, and, and we don't need to be repetitive of it. Um, mm. Your column is principally about the experience of being out here. But as the trip is sort of winding down, tomorrow you'll be departing, but all the Arsenal occasion of it is over. Um, yeah, I would love to just get your thoughts on being out here in L.A. and, and what the this portion of the tour has felt like for you. Yeah, just absolutely incredible. We were talking the other night uh, when we were at the, uh, uh, the fan event in South Central, and 
all of us, me, you, um, the Andrews, we were, we kind of, our, our conversation was only semi-coherent because we, which, you know, perhaps is not that unusual, actually. <laughs> um, but we were, I think it's not just that we were struggling to articulate, we were struggling to process. Yeah like what we experienced and, you know, talking to so many people. And for me in particular, um, and maybe Andrew A feels like this as well. It's so like my favorite thing about being from London is the fact that it's a global city. I know that sounds like really um, a bit kitsch, mm. but it, it really is like it's a global. And, and I've always loved the idea that the place I was born is the kind of place everyone wants to go to. Mm. Um, and, and so to come to like the other side of the world via an 11 hour flight and then speak to all these people for whom the thing that happens to be in your city means as much to them as it does to you. And because of the scarcity of the opportunity to see and experience that and bring that community together, it's so much more intense. Yeah. Like the sense of gratitude and love, like it's, it's like. For, for for the club, I mean, mm -hmm. I'm not talking about myself. <laughs> well, you can but, have that too. <laughs> <laughs> but it's but it's just like it's uh, it's just unreal. It just it makes me feel it's it's weird. It makes me, it makes me feel so much more connected. But it kind of really makes me feel proud mm. as well. It's like this thing that you know that essentially just happens in a stadium. Um, a, you know, a few miles from. I'm not from Islington. I'm from London. But like in my city, like means this much to this many people. And because they maybe only get to experience it once or maybe twice or three, you know, like the scarcity of it just makes it so intense. It's been like overwhelming. It really has. Yeah. There, there's a lot of uh, moments that will stand out to me, but maybe the one that summarized it the most for me. And there were, there were a lot of Barca fans there. It might've been 60, 40 bars. So there was 70,000 plus people there. Uh, but I think the noise the Arsenal fans were mm. making might arguably have been a bigger noise. But what I got off the Arsenal fans that I didn't as much get from the Barcelona fans is what I would consider more of the authentic experience, yep. more of the true support. I mean, there were songs going up from the Arsenal yep. end, you know, and, and there was a TIFO display in the Arsenal end. And then the moment that's going to stick with me is probably 30 minutes after the game had ended, there was what must have been several hundred Arsenal supporters yeah, just yeah. in the concourse singing. Yeah, just yeah. going through the song list, the right? Saliba and, song, yeah. Saka Smith throw, yeah. That yeah. not wanting it to end, that, hey, we're all here together on this special night, we're just going to sing our songs, really cool. Um, the the thing I should mention is that it was my first time being at SoFi, as it was obviously mm -hmm. for you. And like it's weird because I, you've done a lot of traveling. You've been all over the world. You've been at just about every stadium you could possibly ask. Mm. I haven't been to just about every stadium, but I've, I've been to some that I think are regarded very highly. I have never, never experienced a sensation of walking out into SoFi. That screen, the lights, it is a sensory experience that beyond just the football being played is remarkable. I actually think it had an impact on the players, which we'll get to in a moment. McKellen mm -hmm. is, in his post-match comments sort of referenced, you know, once the players are on the pitch and there's the noise of 70,000 people, they ignore what you tell them and, yeah, and something yeah, yeah. kicks in because Xavi... I think kind of cheekily complained that we played it like a Champions League game, which is rich considering the early challenges they put in on us. Mm. But you almost can't get a tame, mm -hmm. a tame friendly in that environment because the sensory overload of the screens and the displays combined with the noise that crowd can make in there, 
it, it just ratchets up the energy, the experience. I've never been in a building, a structure that felt like that place felt. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm, I'm sitting here talking to you after two large coffees and it's kind of like that. It's like, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and it did have a very tangible impact on the game um, as well, like you said, because it's like, if you have two large coffees, you're full of caffeine mm -hmm. and that, that chemical reaction, like there's nothing you can do to stop that. Yeah. Like it's there, it's there. And it's, it was, yeah, it was almost like in introducing like a new chemical into the equation. But yeah, I mean, the, just the screen on its own. I mean, it's a feat of engineering for one thing, but it's just like at half time, I didn't need to go to the toilet, but I went to the toilet just because I needed like a, a minute. A break from the lights and the yeah, sounds. And yeah. <laughs> I kind of just had to like, you know, splash some cold water on my face. Mm -hmm. And there was no, I was talking to Andrew Allen about this as well. And this, this might be more, um, more kind of typical in some respects of like the American experience, but it's just like there hasn't been a second since we've been in here where it hasn't been like music pounding, blah, 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 you know, just like loads and loads going on on the screen. And, and actually because they didn't open the stadium till about an hour and a half before, everyone like poured in at once. So immediately it was this like everyone's in, everyone's excited, like there was no kind of slowly... And that, that's, I mean, was saying to you off mic, I was actually quite glad for the delay to kick off because it just gave me that extra half an hour to like settle in because yeah. I needed it. Yeah, to to adapt to the surroundings. Um, another surreal moment is just the angel ringing out, you know, <laughs> in Los Angeles in SoFi Stadium and, a, you know, a lusty rendition of that sung by the Arsenal supporters. Um, yeah, very cool. I, it's, it is worth pointing out the pitch wasn't good, and mm -hmm. there were big concerns about it pre-match. They were testing it out a lot, and I was worried that it was going to be virtually unplayable the way it looked pre-match. But to their credit, um, and to the credit of the immense talent of the players, they mm. they made it a, a, essentially a non-issue. There were yeah, some yeah. slips, but by and large, I thought it was good. Let's um let's shift gears to the to the game though, because um, there's a lot there. I mean, mm. I think there is a lot there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a knock for Declan Rice doesn't sound serious. Um, so he did not play. Zinchenko still has not played mm. on tour, which I, I think is a bit of a worry, but Jurian Timber started on the left in this game. Mm. And um, I think that's a big talking point. But, you know, I, I think the place I want to start with this is just that we looked a lot more on it. And, and I wonder if the intensity of the game against United gave Mikel the opportunity to say, look, I know these are friendlies, but you have to play them at a certain level or mm. it's not going to be competitive because we were much more combative <clears throat> and and I, I think intense in the way we went through this game. But at the beginning, I was pretty worried because the mm. Barca players went in early on some really aggressive challenges. I mean, mm -hmm. if you want to call them dirty, be my guest. The ref did not seem to have a sense of how to control it. And I sort of have some sympathy because you want to keep it 11 v 11 and friendly, mm -hmm. obviously, but you still have that responsibility to control the game. What were your thoughts on that that sort of early phase when Barca were snapping into challenges and it looked like the ref was kind of letting it get away from him? Yeah, it's... Uh I haven't made my mind up what I think about this because on one hand, I really agree with something Clive said, I think, in the wake of the Manchester United game where he said like, you know, pre-season's a program, it's just schedule, but there are games you target within it. Clearly, United targeted the game against us in a way that maybe we didn't. I think we targeted this game a little bit more. But at the same time, I kind of don't think we started like that. I think... No. 
Barca went in heavy and hard and I was getting annoyed, not just because the referee was dreadful, um, but also because I wanted to see Arsenal fight back. You know, I was like, like, come on guys. Like I know we had our disciplinary problems a couple of seasons ago and I was getting worried that like the balance on this is going to go too far the other way and we're going to shy away. And I, I wanted to see... Honestly, I wanted to see some retribution. I wanted to see a sense of players standing up for themselves. I think we got that. I think we got that. And so there's another part of me that thinks maybe we didn't intend the game to be like this. But what we didn't do against United that we did here was like, okay, if you're going to play that way, we'll take the gloves off too. And I was really pleased to see that. Um, and and that's why I, I always felt the United game, as disappointing as it was, was valuable for us because this is all part of our preparation as well. Yeah, and I think um, Mikel had some interesting comments, so <clears throat> I'll just read them out. I referenced them before, but uh, on the physicality, it got really competitive for a friendly match after the first tackle, after the first goal. Obviously, in front of 70,000 fans, it helps to create an atmosphere. They are elite players and all want to win. And at the end, it got a bit too much at times for a friendly, to be fair. But I think we showed all the people that we came to watch the game that it was really good, um, which I agree. And he was asked about Xavi being surprised by the intensity. He said at the end of the day, football belongs to the players. We're playing in front of 70 to 80,000 people. And when it comes down to it, as soon as the game starts, they'll rebel against the coaches and do what they want as as soon as there's the first foul, as soon as there's the first game, they'll start getting intense and they'll start playing. And I think um, I think you really you really saw that. And I referenced it before. There's an energy in that building that is going to transmit to the players on the pitch. And I just don't think you can, if you're an elite athlete in your mind, in front of all those people, say, "I'm just going to have a jog around in this game." I don't think that's possible. So. We give up a goal a little bit sloppy, Odegaard with a giveaway. And I think really for all of our goals that we gave away, they were based on individual errors. The same was true at MetLife, to be fair. Mm. These errors, though, there was still a little bit more, I mean, other than the free kick, a little bit more to do for Barcelona. They have a slight concern that from losing the ball in midfield, one ball up the pitch, that it's been a bit easy yeah. to expose us uh, when we've turned the ball over. I mean, that that's something that I think we've seen in both games. Yeah, definitely. And it's something that was happening at the end of last season as mm, well. Yep. Mm -hmm. um, and it doesn't look to me like we've corrected it yet. Where we look stronger or look stronger in this game is Saliba was playing. And, you know, he's he's a guy who can cover some structural ills. And, uh, and that, that's kind of the interesting thing about defending sometimes. It's like, you know, to some extent, uh, like Liverpool did it with Van Dijk for years. It's kind of like, we're going to be open, but we've got a guy who can deal with it. Yeah. So structurally, they haven't really been sound. They've leaned into the quality of individuals. And Arsenal can do that. Um, but I think it's also apparent that structurally, yes, we when we turn the ball over, we still look vulnerable. And I, I don't think I believe that Arteta's attitude is, well... Saliba and Gabriel are good enough to clear it up. So I, I think I do think that's a concern just because it was a weakness or a vulnerability at the end of last season. It doesn't look like we've corrected. And I don't believe it doesn't matter to Arteta. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I think there's there's some work to do there. And to be fair, you know, we're integrating new pieces. Yeah, yeah. And there's gonna be some adjustment, but we saw at the tail end of last season that something came unglued defensively a little bit. And, and we've sort of presumed that it was around the Saliba absence, but there may be more to that. And that's just one to keep an eye on. 
as the game wore on, though, we we had more of the ball, more of the possession, more of the the attacking third possession. I think we looked a lot more like Arsenal in our press, in our control mm. of the game. And a big component of that early on, I think, was Jurian Timber's play. Um, Takahiro Tomiyasu has been out a long, long time, and so it's not surprising that maybe he wasn't right on top of it uh, in the game at MetLife, but also Timber, I think, wasn't as comfortable inverting from the right Mm. against United and, that, and I just didn't feel like that dynamic worked and that meant you know Rice, Rice was playing off the left half space a lot of change mm. this was more of our settled side slightly with Party back in there and White at right back and the center you know the center back pairing and so Timber got to invert from the left and he was really really good mm. um, knowing when to to drive past a player when to give it quickly I thought he snapped into his challenges pretty well which you know there's some people I think that have question marks about his defending Largely, I thought it was good. For the, for the Lewandowski goal, I saw some criticism of him because mm. he's the last guy to arrive yeah, ca- catching yeah, yeah. up to Lewandowski. But I think that's just because he was trying to cover back for others. I actually think it's Gabriel who sort of loses, loses Lewandowski him. in the box. Yeah. And maybe Saliba should keep that cross from going in. But I, I don't think it's Timber's mistake. Overall, I thought Timber inverting from the left enabled us in a way that mm. he, inverting from the right against United and, and Tomiyasu were not as able to give us that control midfield. Yeah, definitely. And he was, uh, particularly in the first half when he was, uh, yeah, which was, you know, the much more kind of settled part of the game, he was on our side as well. And it's the first time I've seen him in the flesh um, as well, you know, physically just like really imposing. Because yeah. that's that's something you're going to worry about Um when you take a play from the Eredivisie, for example, you might think, oh, will he come up to, like, I don't see that that that's going to be a problem nope. for him at all. Um, it, it will be more of like the tactical fit. That's that's what, you know, be the issue. But that didn't look like an issue to me. He just looks so strong in duels as well. Just he's got that Saliba thing as well of just getting the shoulder in, getting his body between the man and the ball and coming away with it. Um, just like a really clean way of defending. And yeah, m- maybe one-on-one. Um, he could he could kind of sharpen up a bit, but maybe that's where defending on his weak side maybe didn't suit him in those scenarios. But yeah, I I really liked what I saw, and I think you know we've done a lot at left back in preseason, and I think him and Kivior have looked more impressive than Tomiyasu and Tierney there. Yeah, and. He does it a little differently than Zinchenko, right? Zinchenko has that sort of metronome quality. He gets the ball, he gives the ball, and it just moves where it needs to go. He can step past a player. He's sneaky good at that. But he he, he uses his understanding of space and where players are going to be to move the ball in tempo. And Timber may be a little more minded to carry it into a position. Yeah, yeah. But it's all about where the ball winds up. And he gets the ball into the right, into the right places. And he, he seems to have a comfort passing into the half space, into the, you know the breaking a line, going to the next level of attack. Um, there's going to be a lot of scrutiny on Kai Havertz, though, obviously. Like, that's mm-hmm. that's a player I think... Declan Rice is good, and he's going to be good, and it might take time for him to figure out our system, but he's just... I don't think there's a world where Declan Rice isn't good, but I think there are people that were worried, you know, will Havertz fit in? I don't think this was a perfect Havertz game because there were things we noticed in the ground that, you know, maybe you don't pick up on TV. And this is something I've always complained about watching on TV is you can't really see all the spacing. Mm. There was a time, I think it was Gabriel, wanted to give Havertz the ball, but Havertz had turned and, and made a run up the pitch, kind yeah, of that forwards yeah. mindset. So there's still some of that understanding when to connect and, and when to go. But the thing I think you can see developing, Bukayo Sack is the best player on the pitch. Mm-hmm. 
despite missing a sitter and a penalty, the best player <laughs> on the pitch. He had a, had a goal as well. Saka cutting in on his left and playing balls to the back post is going to be a thing. And Havertz gives us a totally new dimension. And he's going to be hard to mark because he's going to be making runs from deeper. Mm. He's great in the air. Granted, the, the goal he scored is actually more of a, a first-time tap and a really uh, clever finish, I think, from Odegaard nodding it down. But you can see that that's going to be part of the mm. dynamic as Havertz arriving late at the back post and Saka cutting in and and um, delivering him. So what do you think of that dynamic and, and, and Havertz starting to look like he's gaining an understanding of where he needs to be? Yeah, definitely. And there were a couple of times in the first 10 minutes where him and kind of Jesus were standing on each other's toes because obviously Jesus has to um, adjust to it as well because he likes to go over to that left side and, you know, we're talking about attacking the back post. That's always been his speciality. But I imagine the thinking now will be like Jesus attacks the other back post perhaps from the right with Havertz coming from the left. But yeah, I, I, I really liked what I like. He was one who really grew into it which is, you know, that stands to reason because it's preseason for a start, but also because he's still learning. But the fact that he didn't look like the first 10 minutes, I was thinking this is this is going to take some time. And, and it still is, like it's still not there, but I had a much better feeling. And by the time he went off, I was thinking, no, no, he's like, I, I feel all right about this. Um, perhaps in a way that other other players haven't quite felt that with yet, and uh, yeah, but like that that attacking the back post, the the movement he makes as well um, when Erdegaard gets that header. Because when you look at Erdegaard getting that header, I think he's going for goal. I don't yeah. think he's trying to find Havertz, but Havertz still has the presence of mind. He just takes a little step when Erdegaard heads it, and he's probably thinking about the rebound. Mm. Um, but obviously, the way the ball drops, but just he's just thinking that second ahead to get into that position and had it been a rebound he still would have scored probably it just so happened like Odegaard kind of messed up the header and yeah it's just about standing in those spaces and I don't think you'd get that with Xhaka I don't think Xhaka scores that goal for example and that's why you know as as much as Xhaka's kind of stats from last season on goals and assists because it's Xhaka as well you're like wow mm. but i th i think Havertz can and should be beating those numbers there are certain players that give you a a a kind of um opportunity to game plan around what they do well right so i think we will see Xhaka's absence come up from time to time this season in the way we progress the ball and maybe some spacing issues in midfield. But what we do have now with this ability to play to the back post from a Saka, you know, in swinging cross, for lack of a better way to put it, I think that's a big weapon. And mm. I think it's a big weapon that we can take advantage of because of Saka's incredible ability to free himself from a marker and get that delivery in. It, it gives Saka one more tool to work with himself. Yeah, you know? definitely. And like, I, I was thinking this last night, like the amount of times he isolated um, their, their left back. And, and actually, that's a really underrated skill as well. The ability to get into the situation where you've isolated the left back. Because like you have to do some off-ball work to be able to do that. And clearly, like every single team will be like Saka. Saka's the don't. So like, it's not like they don't know. Mm. But he still manages to get that one-on-one -on -one situation. And how many times do you see his crosses blocked or... Tackle, like, like, like never never yeah. like because he can go both sides as well 
And yeah, sorry, I know this is about Havertz, but I just, I, I just had to say about Saka. Yeah, like, he's, he's brilliant. He, he gives me that feeling that players like Henri, Perez, Vieira, Tony, like all those great players I've seen down the years, he gives me that same feeling where it's like your seven out of 10 is most people's 10 out of 10. And you always at least produce a seven out of 10. Like you're basically, yeah, I think the way I'd describe Saka is his... Uh, his floor is so high yeah. that his you know his ceiling is essentially limited. He never has a stinker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You're always going to get a, a solid performance from him that you can depend on. Um, and he's playing a lot in preseason, as yes, I'm sure he will this season. I I think I don't want to have it now. I think there is a debate to be had about whether Bukayo Saka should be the penalty taker for Arsenal. Yeah, not because he's bad, but there, there are some people who are just specialists at that skill. Mm. And then there are some people who just do it okay, yeah. you know? And Saka does it fine, I've but he's not a specialist. Well, let's put it this way. If Jorginho was a starter, a guaranteed every game starter, mm. I think you'd have to have Jorginho as the number one penalty taker. But when you look at our first 11, our, you know, and I know first 11s aren't a thing, but to, to the extent yeah, that there yeah, is yeah, one, yeah. Um, I don't think you'd have Saka. It's not an obvious candidate. And, yeah, there's, I don't think you'd have anyone ahead of Saka, obviously. Mm. Um well, we got to talk Trissard a little bit as well. And and so for years I've gone on, I bang on about a lot of things, but I always banged on when we were signing like the likes of Cedric and Marie and stuff like that, that don't buy backups, you know? And, and I get it. The argument is, well, you, you need a squad. But what I mean by don't buy backups is not don't buy players who are backups. I mean, buy players who are going to give the manager a headache because they think they've got a chance to get to get their way. And I want to, I want to um, read something a couple of quotes. So first on Trissard's performance, it's great to see him score. He's been working so hard. He came in a really good condition for preseason, and he's a player that gives us something very different to the wingers that we have. I agree with that, by the way. Mm -hmm. um, and he's got incredible versatility, versatility, versatility and predictability to play in the positions. It's great and will be good for his confidence, that's for sure. But the quote that I like... On having a strong squad and any potential transfer movements, we have 30 players here, which is unsustainable. And obviously the market is still open and things can happen, but we are prepared. We are really happy with the squad we have at the moment. Uh, we obviously have improvements to make in terms of what we want to do in games. And we have to do that. Overall, I'm really pleased with the team. I know this is it. Yeah, here we go. And the contributions from Kai as well, and that's why he's playing. He's got the quality in and around that position with Leo. We have a lot of options up front, and they're going to have to compete between them to give me a hard time. Mm. That's the quote I've been looking for, and I read you three that I didn't mean to read. But <laughs> the reason I wanted to read that one is I love the idea that a player who is ostensibly a backup is good enough that he can give the manager a hard time, that he can mm – -hmm. I mean – I think Gabriel Martinelli is a superstar, and I think he should start games. I, I, I think it, yeah, yeah. it's pretty cut and dried for me. But the fact that Trissard can give the manager a headache, I mean, if we were playing Forrest tomorrow, Trissard made his, his case. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and I love that because I think for too long we had clear first 11 and then backup players, mm -hmm. you know, and, and what Trissard has done is shown that if Jesus is out or if Martinelli's off his best or if Havertz isn't clicking – it's going to be really hard not to want to get Trissard in the lineup. So how impressed were you with him? And just that dynamic of having players who aren't backups, yeah. they're good players banging on the door to find a spot in the squad. Yeah, definitely. And I've spoken, uh, you know, I've spoken to players in the women's team about this before. And what's really kind of weird about athletes is players want that as well. Like I, I've spoken to players who might have lost their place, for example. And, and you know, you ask, you're like, oh, well, you know, you worried about that losing your place? They're like, nope. 
nope, I want to compete. I want like pressure on my spot. And, uh, and Trossard, he's just one of those players where I'm not even sure I could properly say where he was playing. Um, if you know what I mean, like he wasn't re- like, I wouldn't say he was playing on the left wing. Was he? His left really? half space. Exactly. Sometimes exactly. just in front of Havertz, sometimes dropping him behind him. Yeah. Yeah. It was very, very strange. He like, he's an area player. Like he's perfect for positional football. He does not want to be out on the wing. Like no, that's what no, I'll no. say that. And that's why like not to cut you off, but the Martinelli thing is different. Cause if we want Martinelli to stretch the pitch and hold the width and, yeah. and make those runs, like, I don't think Trissard's comfortable doing that, but if you let him get central in the half space, he'll kill you. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what it reminds me of? Because I was just about to make the point about City as well with their wingers where they've got like four wingers mm-hmm. and it's they'll, they'll play two of them <coughs> and you won't be like, oh, they've weakened their team by playing like Bernardo Silva instead mm-hmm. of Mares. But what, you know, Bernardo Silva and Mares, I know they're not going to be there anymore, but like they're both very different as well. Like Mares is much more Saka- type you know inverted but a winger whereas Bernardo Silva's like that wide playmaker and more like it just gives you optionality and that's going to be like Trossard like perhaps if we're playing a game where yeah Martinelli's playing he's stretching the pitch but they're comfortable with that and you bring on Trossard and he stands 10-15 yards in field like the ability to give opponents different problems is is a really really valuable one as well and I think he can do that and don't get me wrong there will be games and I think there have been games where Trossard's played sometimes uh, you know towards the end of last season where you just think hmm this wasn't really a Trossard game today but that's fine because if you've got Martinelli you can put him you know it's just I, I, I just think he's a really really smart player and what I loved about uh, I can't remember if it was his second or first goal um, it's the one where there's the long ball uh, towards Gabriel Jesus. That's but, his first one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, yes, that's right, because the other one was Tierney Cross. The, the thing about both goals as well is like, I know I bang on about this a lot, because he's two-footed, he doesn't have to worry or mess, around. like he wasn't messing about trying to get that on his right foot. Mm-hmm. It's like, all right, so my left, bang, in it goes. That is so valuable as well. And that's like, that's the sign of a really good player. And I think that like uh, two footedness kind of sums him up. Well, since you mentioned it, uh, I'll bring it up that Jesus wins the ball on a long Ramsdale kick. And I thought, I thought it was a better night just quickly um, for Ramsdale with his distribution. He varied mm. it more. He went long well at times. He, he had a long throw that was good. He found his he, range. He kind of found his range a little bit more. Yeah. Whereas at, at MetLife, it was, a bit, it was a bit of a worry. Um, Jesus was fantastic, I think. Mm. And, um, you know, he should have had a brilliant assist for Saka where he kind of chips a guy and Saka just goes over the bar. He could have had another brilliant assist for Saka where he slides it across the box and it just takes a deflection away from him. He wins the long ball that he's never favored to win to get it to Troussard for the for Troussard's first goal. Um, I, I think he... He is a player that can really influence games from the center forward position without scoring. Yep. Um, but he was magnificent, I thought. And and Mikel did call him out for for praise. I'll give you the the um, quote there. On being asked about sharing goals around the squad, he said, I don't know. We have to score as many goals as possible. If we have somebody that can score 25, 30, 40 goals, then great. Today, Gabby didn't score, but it's the best Gabby that I've seen for months. Mm. Again, he gave that energy, that belief. He was creating a lot of chaos, a lot of good moments. He was making everybody better, and I'm really pleased with that. I, I really think that's nail on the head. I thought 
He made everybody better. He had the right feel for when to drop in and combine and when to get ahead and push the line up. And it, look, I'm going to do the thing that's going to annoy people, but it's hard not to when you contrast that with the Enkedia performance at MetLife where it seemed like he wasn't sure mm. when to go, when to drop in, where he, he wasn't able to give us that hold up to enable the wingers to play. And, and even in this game, he came on, there was one, we all kind of mentioned it to each other. There's the long ball from Ramsdale that Jesus wins for the Trossard goal. There's a long ball from Ramsdale when Enkedia was on where he didn't know how to position himself mm. so that the, the defender couldn't get between him and the ball and he just, he got nowhere near it. And, very different style of players. I, I don't like to do these things where it feels like you're picking on a guy, but I just think the Jesus performance had so much about it. And I, he's such an important player for us. It really does make me wonder, is Trissard the backup nine mm. or is Havertz the backup nine? But but for me, Jesus is is right up there with the first names on the team sheet. Yeah, definitely. And this this showed what he's all about, this performance. and Because that's the thing about Jesus is you you rarely lose him. You know what I mean? Like you're right. You find that your eyes on him a lot, uh, even when he doesn't he, ghost from games. I, no. I can't remember a Jesus game where I was like, I didn't notice him. You yeah, know? yeah, exactly. He's so involved, and, and you know, we were talking about the intensity of this game. I mean, he's one of the ones who, because the thing about Jesus, he doesn't know how to play any other way. He's just massively, massively intense, and just yeah, that was the other thing I loved about that Trossard goal. And what what I think a lot of people don't understand is when the long ball goes to the striker, he doesn't. He kind of doesn't want to win it. That's not what it's about. It's not about him getting up, getting the flick on, and what? It goes to the goalkeeper. Well done. It's about fighting so that the centre half might win it, but it only goes three or four yards. And that's that's kind of what happened with this goal. Like, Jesus doesn't win that header, but he's not trying to. What he's trying to do is... I want the guy coming up like on my shoulders and trying to go over my head. I, I want him to head it down to my teammate, basically. That's that's what it's about. And like I I got really frustrated about the analysis after the Brighton game at the end of last season when it's like, oh, why are we aiming long balls at Jesus uh, for, you know, for Dunk? And it's like, because he's not trying to win it. It's about the counter-pressing. And he's he's so, so good at that. And I just think, I think Arteta really likes him as well, just because I think it's so important to have players in certain positions who set a tone. And I think maybe the striker is the player that does that the most. Because if you see the striker really buzzing around, I think it really, really has like a has a kind of echo throughout the team. And it, it reminds me a bit of um, when Van Persie first really started to become elite. Do you remember he he apparently had this obsession about his distance run stats? And uh, I, I know like distance run is is kind of a dismissed statistic, but he was he gave himself a target every game. It's like I've got to hit this target every game, otherwise I haven't worked hard enough. And uh, I'm not sure Jesus does that, but it's just that kind of that intensity setting the tone. But it's not just that, like you say, he's smart as well. He knows when to drop. He knows when to go wide. Um, essentially, he is, I think, world-class at everything except finishing. Yeah, and and it's a shame, honestly, because he is really not very good at finishing. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, he could stand to be better at that. Um, but yeah, I, I've always been a bit skeptical of the center forward who doesn't score thing. Mm. But we scored a lot of goals last season. I think we're poised to score more this season, and I think he was a big reason for that. Mm -hmm. Um 
You know, I mean, Liverpool were quite good with Firmino, and he, he yep. was not a goal-scoring striker. Um, I think Jesus has the ability to be a more of a, a goal-scoring striker than Firmino, um, but he, he he really enables us. It's just interesting. Like, I watch 95% of the games on TV, mm-hmm. and I think there are things you can get from watching on TV because you don't have the distractions of being there, but there are certain things, he, you know, obviously the camera angles limit what you could see. The other thing is sometimes like quality transmits in person in a way it doesn't in, yeah. in TV. Like uh, I remember when we were at MetLife, we were walking down the concourse or whatever, and there was a New York Giants NFL football player that wanted to see a, go to the player's dressing room and say they were escorting him. And it was like a superhero. I mean, yeah. I, I'm like six, six, 295 pounds. And, but you see them on TV and you're like, oh, there's football players. But then you, you're in real life with them and they yeah. hit you in a different way. And a player who does that for me every time I've had the the, the chance to see him play is William Saliba. Mm. Like the way he glides and the way he runs, there was one moment where he's second best for a ball back and he just kind of, his stride lengthens a little bit. He gets his shoulder down and he croifs it like <laughs> back, yeah, back yeah. Into, under control and sends us off the other way. He transmits a quality. You know, the, Saka is another guy like that. I think Saka looks pretty good on TV, but in person, you really yeah. get the sense of the way the defenders are scared of him, the way he uses his body intelligently, and Saliba definitely has that for me. I will say right now, what I would I would kill a glass of AG1 right now, let me tell you. Um, remember, they've changed their URL to drinkag1.com slash vision, drinkag1.com slash vision. AG1, what is it? It's 75 high-quality vitamins, nutrients, whole food source, superfoods, adaptogens, probiotics, um, it is everything you need for energy, for focus, for strength, for clarity. It was designed by an athlete with recovery in mind. It's a micro habit that delivers macro benefits, and just about everybody can take, uh, you know, wants to take great care of their health every day. This is the way you can do it. I started taking AG1 for gut health, um, you know, to to get a little bit off the coffee because I, I did was drinking a bit too much of it, probably for energy. Um, and to get all my vitamins, because if you look on the back of most of your multivitamins, all you're going to see as a first ingredient is sugar. This is keto-friendly, vegan-friendly, paleo-friendly, uh, low sugar. So it's something you can feel really good about taking. If a comprehensive solution is what you need from your supplement routine, then try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash vision. That's drinkag1.com slash vision. And I would certainly drink AG1 right now if you handed it to me. I, before we get on to a couple of the subs, because I think there are a couple of sub-performances that are if not important, interesting. <clears throat> the Thomas Party performance here is, is I think, a talking point. I just mm-hmm. don't think there's a way to get around this. Thomas Party was very, very, very good. And he is very, very, very good. If you just think about pre-Interlull last season, and unfortunately you have to think about pre-Interlull the season before, so that's a yeah, thing. Yeah, 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 Let's yeah. set that thing aside. Thomas Party, I think, was as good as Rodri or better than Rodri during periods of last season to be mm-hmm. maybe arguably the best or one of the two best central midfielders in the league. That player is still at our club. Mm. And we are trying to integrate a <clears throat> 105000000 pound signing. But let's pr- put the money... Like, w- when you spend the money, it matters. Once yeah, money's yeah, spent, yeah. money doesn't matter anymore. What matters are results on the pitch. Right now, for me, with, with no critique of Rice intended, I think we give ourselves a better chance to get off to a fast start this season using Thomas Party. Mm-hmm. who is integrated and understands the role, especially given that we have taken a huge piece out in Shaka and mm-hmm. replaced it with a very different piece in Havertz. And I think if you do that and you take party out and go to Rice, that's a lot of 
change and, and rice likes to drift to the left. So do you now have to invert from the right? We saw that didn't work at MetLife. Mm. Rice will be a star for us for years. I have no doubt. But in terms of what's best for Arsenal over the next six weeks or so, mm. this party performance did nothing to dissuade me from my belief that he, he might be the guy to use early on to make sure we maintain some cohesion and consistency from season to season. Yeah, and I guess like, uh, you know, we don't know how serious Rice's injury is, but regardless, he's missed a preseason game, which is an important part of both his fitness and his integration at the same time. I, 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 I mean, I agree with you. I thought we had a brilliant game here and we were talking earlier and saying, actually, this might suit him if he doesn't have to play every minute of every game um, and he can just kind of come in and out a little bit more and then maybe he can put a performance in in April and May um, after that. I, I guess if I was going to um, offer a counter to that, mm -hmm. I'd say we conceded three goals and particularly that first goal, uh, you know, we haven't seen enough of him in Arsenal shirt to know this. I've just got a feeling Declan Rice might stop that that happening when that ball breaks maybe like, yeah that's his speciality there was um there was a point in the united game at metlife where i can't remember who it was it might have been sancho got in down the side and he just sprints across and uh and i remember looking at it and i was like who's who's that because he was at like <laughs> he was at like right center back and he'd sprinted across um, to kind of uh, close the angle for the shot. and Because that, that is what Declan Rice... We know yep. Declan Rice can do that. What he maybe can't do yet is some of the passes that we saw from Thomas Partey, for example, yeah. in this game. So, yeah, it, it, it could be. It could be a kind of, you know what, let's wait till the first international break and, you know, Partey will probably go away with Ghana. He'll probably get injured anyway. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that tends to be how it happens. But, yeah, like, I, I don't think that's enormously controversial. I, I don't think it will happen, but it could. And it's like if Shaka was still here, for example, mm. I I might be singing a different tune. I think it is the combination of taking a more central midfield-minded player out and going to that more attack-minded Havertz and then potentially taking Party out and going to Rice. Like it is just a lot of change. The, the thing you saw with Rice, and again, he it was his, really his first time playing anything like a competitive fixture when he played against United and... He played very much within himself. He just did. Like the thing that I'm so impressed by Timber about is he's just showed up at this big club. He's just, he's playing against Barcelona in front of 70,000 people. He's spinning, he's driving out. He's showing the full range of his game. I think Rice played a little more within himself at MetLife and I can understand that instinct. But that thing of the ball going to him and him going back to the center backs, Party just does that thing where he gets the ball and he turns and he turns and he faces and he makes the next pass to the next level or carries the ball to the next level. And you know, if we were playing Man City in the, in the first game, it might be the case that you'd, you'd want Rice for all the reasons you say. A game like Forest at home, you just want to have that predictability of what you're going to get. And, and I, yeah. I think changing too many critical pieces early on. And, and by the way, like if we start with Declan Rice, I'm sure we'll be great. I'm sure it'll be fine. Mm. This is not a... It's not a hot take or a, even a strong take. It's my my belief that, oh, by the way, going with one of the best central midfielders in the league last season and keeping him in the starting 11 while our other best central midfielder beds in is not exactly um, some kind of revolutionary concept. Yeah, yeah. And also, I, I think what we're getting at here, right, is, um, you know, you look at how Trossard 
uh, kind of settled in. And because tr Trossard is an Arteta player, he's a positional player. He's played that type of football. Like Rice isn't yet. He, that that's not who he is. That's never who he's been asked to be. And so you know, there's some risk in the transfer because we're kind of asking him to be a little bit of something else. But I think the thing with Rice and one of his big qualities is how quickly he learns. So like he adds something to his game every summer. And so like not last year, year before, he, he really added like he as a young player, he never had that drive and dribble, but he developed it. And now he's one of the best at it. And, and I think they're kind of, that's kind of what they're banking on. They're banking on the idea they haven't, like Rice isn't an Arteta player. They haven't bought an Arteta player, mm. but he'll become one quickly. I think so. Yeah, it, it's tough, right? Because I, these can be very charged conversations very quickly. Nobody wants to countenance the idea that Declan Rice isn't the perfect superstar who will dominate for us from day one and forever. But it's football. And like, it just doesn't work that way. I mean, look, after the Charity Shield last season, Liverpool were going to win the title and Darwin Nunez was going to be, you know, the Golden Boot winner and Holland was uh, uh, a fraud. That took yeah. some time. Yeah. Holland took yeah. some time. Yeah, Holland was a fraud and it was going to work out. I mean, there were a lot of think pieces early in the season last season that Holland has made City worse and they, you know, they haven't figured out how to play with him. Maybe it was true. But once they did, my goodness. And it, yeah. it is not unthinkable that the same may be needed with both Havertz and definitely Declan Rice. So, you know, keep, stay stay tuned. I, I think mm -hmm. we've got a very good player on our hands, but how we decide to approach this early on will be interesting. Um, so, look, I, I think this, I don't think this needs a whole conversation, but I'll just make this point. There are certain players who you can feel it drifting. They have a bad moment. The fans start to turn on him. They start to believe, ah, he's no good. It's not going to happen for us. And it, it gets to that point where it can be hard to row it back. And there are moments, even moments that feel kind of meaningless or innocuous that can rescue it in a way. Mm -hmm. and, and I'm saying this probably in too loaded a way, but Fabio Vieira getting that goal I think was important. Mm -hmm. He looked really down after his penalty miss in New York. He's a player that I think probably caught more flack than he deserved. Yeah, uh, the yeah. Southampton performance comes to mind, and I've repeatedly said Ramsdale gifting them that goal and turning that into a game we had to chase early on did not suit him. I'm not saying Fabio Vieira is now going to go on and be a superstar, but I think mm. getting that goal in that environment, you know, and not just a goal, but having the confidence to take on that shot in that position and and score in that way, maybe it just hits pause on some of the intense scrutiny he's been under in criticism. It lets him take a breath and and try to get his Arsenal career on track. Yeah, I think there's a few things here. I, I, even more than the goal. Oh, I know where you're going. <laughs> I, yeah, I was pleased when there was a bad tackle and it was him who came and shoved someone because someone needed to shove someone mm -hmm. and it was him. I, I think, um, we were talking about this the other night, like it, there's no doubt that like physically there's been an issue, there probably still is a bit of an issue, but I think it's a 5 to 10% problem and I think a lot of people have decided it's a terminal 100 and they can't see anything else. Yep. Like they see like this slightly weedy guy and you know what it's like, particularly like these things, they just, they snowball because like a couple of people say it and like, just look on Arsenal Twitter, any given time about a conversation about Fabio Vieira, mm -hmm. it's all about his physique. And so it's, it becomes a bigger and bigger thing. 
Um, but and like, look, he has never got like. I'm I'm not worried about that because I look at him. He's never going to be a big stocky guy. He just isn't. Like that's not in his. But he he can become stronger certainly, and that's like I'm not as worried about that. I know I can name a lot of players who aren't big stocky guys who are very good footballers, yep. and it's fine. But also, I think the other really interesting thing, and I know Clive's talked about this a lot. He's playing on the right. He's not playing left eight. Like we played Smithrow left eight, Trossard left eight, Havertz left eight. He came on on the right. And the way he scores that goal, he can't score that goal on the left half space of the pitch. He scores it because he comes in from the right on his left foot. And it reminded me of that goal he scored against Brentford last season. Exactly the same. Erdegaard was injured for that game or ill or something. He played and he scores that goal against Brentford and he scores it from the right. And so what I what I think we're seeing is that the left eight, he's not played there at all preseason. It's been Erdegaard's position, yep. and uh, in, in like because last season there was a gap at left eight. There isn't anymore. No, there's like three players minimum who can play it. But really, we probably haven't got an Erdegaard backup now. Whether Fabio Vieira wants in his career to be the Erdegaard backup long term, don't know, but. I think at the moment that is definitely the role for him. And uh, I think Arteta has kind of tweaked that as well, that play him on the right of the pitch. He's an interior player. He likes to come inside on that mm-hmm. left foot and not go outside and perhaps collide with full backs. And I, I just think he's got a better sense of that position and it gives him favourable angles. And when you think about it, actually like left eight is the only position on the pitch that isn't inverted yeah because we invert the wingers even the fullbacks invert like Erdegaard's on the on the right Saka's on the right it's all about coming like infield um it's only Havertz really who's kind of playing on his natural side but yeah I I think what we've discovered is that Vieira needs to be in the right the like the right half space you mentioned him, so I'll, I'll just touch on it. I thought this Smith-Rowe performance was great in some respects, but I think you see the whole ball of wax with Smith-Rowe here because we had a free kick routine where they play it to him and he strikes it beautifully. I mean, he is such a clean striker of the ball. Um, he made some really good darting runs. There is something about what happens when the ball gets to his feet that the tempo just quickens instantly and it's forward it's everything's forward just driving 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 you referenced Rosicki. i think it's a a, when we're sitting there at the ground like i I thought that was a good comp but there is that moment Mm -hmm. where gabriel pinches up pushes up into the space and smithrow has a great view of it because he's standing there and just watching him do it and that gap behind gabriel that smithrow is supposed to backfill into what happens barca just attacks into it and and Gabriel was not happy with Smith Rowe. No, no, no. He, he, yeah, he he remonstrated with him a little bit. And again, I'm not picking on the, the kid at all. I, I The kid, like, I'm not picking on the supremely talented professional footballer at all. Um, I think he's got some qualities that we absolutely can, can benefit from. But if you're going to play for Mikel Arteta, that piece has to get sorted out. Because the thing about playing high up the pitch and high wire football and no net football is... If the players are not switched on to how they're supposed to cover each other's spaces, you will get exploited. It is very easy to destroy a team that plays with a high line but doesn't have good organizational discipline. I, who was the uh, Andre Villas Villas Boas? I remember. Yeah, yeah. He used to play like a high line with John Terry and Gary yeah. Cahill, <laughs> and like you could just get him behind them every time because they were they weren't organized well and they didn't have the, the profiles for it. Like 
So this is meant to be a praise of Smith Rowe because I thought he was very, very good. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. in that moment, you see the piece of his game that's going to have to get corrected if he's going to go from being on the fringes to being a major part of the plan because talent-wise, he should be a major part of the plan. Yeah, he's just yeah, got to yeah. get that part cleaned up. Yeah, definitely. And I wonder whether um, around midfield, because he's played a bit of left eight now in preseason and that, that suggests he is being, you know, he figures somewhere in the hierarchy of that role as well. And yeah, definitely. He was very flat-footed. It's not just that he didn't see it and that he, but even as it unfolded, like, because there's one thing where, what should have happened is uh, Gabriel's gone forward to try and win the ball because that's what we ask him to do. I, I need to like just back off a little bit here. That's like that's what the what you want. But even if you don't do that, once Gabriel loses the ball, you have to be like, oh, oh, okay. I'm a second out with my timing. I need to sprint back. He didn't do either of those things. Like he kind of just stayed still. But in fairness to him, he's like this is a more interior role. And I think the thing is, when you play on the wing, getting back to support your fullback is actually, it's not really, um, it, it's more you're just creating numbers. That's what you're doing. When you're tracking back as a winger, you're not really trying to win the ball. You're just trying to stop the fullback from getting isolated. So you're kind of just a body in the way. Yeah, of course. Whereas in midfield, you have to win mm -hmm. the ball. Mm -hmm. You have to go and get it. And so may maybe that's just a bit of an adjustment for him. But, I, you know, I'm we picked it out. I am absolutely certain that Emil Smith-Rowe, as we sit here today, has seen that clip many, many times yeah. Yeah. since it happened. And, you know, that, and that's all part of what preseason's about as he well. He looks fit. He looks yeah. spry. He looks dynamic. He looks different. Yeah, it just... He he pops when he gets on the ball. I just like him to pop a bit when he's not on the ball. Yeah, and mm. do you know what? Because we have turned it into a bit of a criticism. One thing I, I'll say that I said, I think I said it to you in the stadium, the fact that physically he's changed shape and he's bulked up quite a bit, that says to me that he's taking this seriously. You know, that he, like, he's clearly, he's made the effort to do that, to, to kind of bulk up. And if he's done that, He's done it for a reason and he's worked with, like, we talk about this, like, like it's really easy. That's a lot of hard work. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like developing muscle. Like you have to, you know, it's not, it's not easy work. The fact that he's done it says to me that he's keen on improvement. I, the thing that keeps striking me is we have a very deep squad. I mean, arguably too deep. And I think there's still incomings. Maybe, the, you know, a right-sided attacker could come in and that, that would make us even deeper. But like, Declan Rice didn't play. Party goes off. Jorginho comes on. You know, Trissard goes off. Martinelli comes on. Um, you know, Kai Havertz goes off and Smith Rowe comes on. Um, Zinchenko didn't even play. Yeah, Vieira for Odegaard. Vieira is, is is a good player. He comes on and like, we're a very deep team. I think this was an important fixture. It, it felt like a big occasion. And you want to see how the players perform in a big occasion. They really perform very well. They, they stood up to the physical challenge. They played their football. I think the thing I come away with from this tour more than anything, and I know the standard for MLS All-Star is not great, and even though the MetLife gave one wasn't good, I think we're going to score 100 goals this season. I, I think mm -hmm. we might be totally and completely unstoppable. Now, we might concede 50. Yeah, this I mean, was 5-3. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we might concede 50, and, and that's a concern. But I, I really think there's a potential... Gabriel Jesus missed three months last season and mm. and 
wasn't perfect when he came back. He looks ready. Kai Havertz, for whatever deficiencies he has, is going to give us a new kind of threat. Mm-hmm. Trossard is a brilliant addition from January who's now in the squad and fully up to speed. Martinelli and Saka are only getting better. Odegaard is only getting better. Like, I think we're going to be really, really hard to stop in attack, mm-hmm. and I'm very excited to see it. But it is Monaco, and then it's City and the Charity Shield, and the season is here. So still a few things to be worked out. We'll see what happens with Rice. We'll see what happens when Zinchenko comes back. And I think if the season started tomorrow, it would be Timber on the left. I think he's mm-hmm. he's shown that he can do that. But just as a final thought, Tim, I come away from this game seeing a team that I, I really believe in. I'm not saying there aren't warts, but I think mm. I think we're going to be a lot to handle for teams this yeah. season. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, you referenced the depth there. Like, if <laughs> if somehow there weren't transfer windows, like, imagine we'd had Timber in uh, March when Saliba goes down, you know? And it's it, it's just, imagine if we'd been able to bring Havertz off the bench at points last season or, you know, someone else or just, yeah, like you say, just having Havertz instead of Xhaka. Like, yeah, we've got a lot of options. And clearly there are going to be some players who will have to go who will have to make way. Maybe a couple of them came on last night, like Rob Holding. Like I think it's just worth saying, just because we saw it and we were there, he looked disconsolate when he came off because of the slip that leads to that goal and because I think he has a connection to this part of the world and he was very keen, I think, to come on and I think he knows his chance is going to be limited. He looked crestfallen when he went, uh, you know, after he did his warm down and went down the tunnel. He looked really upset. Because, I, I mean, I think he probably gets the sense that his Arsenal career is slipping away. Slipping away, as it were. Touche. Literally. But I really don't think he wanted that to happen in the US as well. Um, so, it, like, it's kind of inauspicious. And maybe that's the last thing we see of him in an Arsenal shirt, potentially. it's Yeah, you, you and I said this uh, over coffee this morning, which is just, I think it'd be lovely for Rob Holden to go somewhere and yeah, play yeah, somewhere yeah. where he can be like, Oh yeah, I'm really good. Yeah, like yeah, I, yeah. maybe I wasn't quite Arsenal standard where, the way Arsenal wanted to play and where they were going, but oh yeah, I'm, I'm a really good footballer, and yeah. it's fun to be a really good footballer. Like he's a guy who should just go yeah. be really good somewhere. I I think maybe Eddie and Kedia belongs in that category too because yeah, yeah. I think he could be quite good somewhere. Um, I think we should leave it there. We'll get back to our normal schedule on Monday, which will be brilliant. Um, it'll be hard to say goodbye here. I, I, I said to someone, the, the one good thing about having kids, and there really is only one good thing about having kids, <laughs> is when you have to end a vacation or a trip like this, at least you can be like, oh yeah, I get to go see my kids. So I'm looking forward to that. It will be hard to say goodbye to the ocean and the sun and, and the football and the, the supporters. I do want to say I feel so, so happy for the fans that got to be there last night. Yeah, I think they yeah, got... Yeah. Really, I, it may sound like I'm overstating it, a bucket list kind of experience because yeah. that ground and that atmosphere and to get the big win and just such a special night, it, it really it felt a like great a bucket game. list. Yeah. It was a great game. Like We knew a couple of guys uh, over here who were who not a fan of either team who went and spoke to them afterwards and it's just like... What a game that is. And they, you know, they were, that's exactly what they both said. They were just like, you know, they didn't have any emotional investment in it, but they were like, what a game that was. And yeah, a- absolutely. And, and you know, um, I think we should reference as well and just say thank you to the people we've spoken to in our time here. It's just, it, honestly, it melts my brain that I can get on a plane 11 hours and then speak to people and, and you know, not to make this too much about us, but like just being recognized by people and people saying like, oh, we love the podcast. It's just, 
absolutely mind blowing. It's been it's been really really special. I, I genuinely I'll never forget this this whole trip. Really, it I I can be a worrier as I've said. I'm a little neurotic. The hardest thing for me is just when someone comes up and says that. First of all, I feel such an immense sense of gratitude and appreciation. I just want to like sit down, have a beer with them, and talk. And you can't spend the time you'd want to with everyone because either you're on the go and you're trying to get to your seats or you're moving around or whatever. And so it, it's awesome to meet people. It's so great. My only, the anxious part of me is like, but I wish you could sit down with someone yeah, and like really yeah. get to know them and spend a little time. And so, um, yeah, re- really extraordinary. And I'm glad you were able to make it out here. I hope that uh, Clive and Paul aren't foaming at the mouth with FOMO, um, but there will be plenty of special uh, days and nights and trips ahead for them and for everyone listening. And I, I just hope that you're doing great. Enjoyed the game. And we will uh, we'll be back to our usual stuff next week. So season's on the horizon. As I stare out on the horizon, I think it's going to be a good one. We love you. And we will talk to you after Arsenal 10, Monaco Mills.